Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. On this week's episode, HashiCorp has announced that Terraform is no longer open source. Also, Apple upsets security researcher with what appears to be a rope-a-dope tactic to keep researchers from disclosing vulnerabilities. And VMware Explorer was held this week, so I'll cover some of the announcements and discuss what are some of my takeaways and highlights from the event. For this and more, keep listening to this episode of the podcast, which of course is brought to you by my sponsors, and that includes Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops, and also brought to you by Netrix Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy Policy Pack Cloud or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work from anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. VMware Explorer 2023 was held in Las Vegas this week. And as usual, VMware made a whole bunch of announcements. Before diving into some, I should admit that I was not there this year. And unlike the last few years, I did not view any of the sessions online. This is purely based off secondhand information from the VMware news department and some other outlets. As I did not get to view sessions, I'm going to keep this shorter than in previous years where I may have gone like 15 to 20 minutes just on the conference announcements alone. And another reason for me keeping it relatively short is that in my opinion, a lot of the information put out by VMware either directly or via other outlets has somewhat vague and hard to follow this year, which is a shame. But before I jump into some of the interesting new features I read about, I'd like to address maybe some of the announcements more broadly. So from what I've read, it seemed like some of the overarching themes from last year's event were repeated again this year. There was further plays into multi-cloud management capabilities, including enhancements to NSX for managing multi-cloud scenarios from a network segmentation perspective. There's also more increased ransomware and threat protection features, which is something that was true over the last two or three years of VMware Explorer and previously VMworld announcements. And there was also edge networking features announced too. And while there were some announcements for existing core products and features like VMware Horizon via Workspace ONE, like NSX and other core products, this year, as I'm sure everyone would have expected, the main focus seemed to be integrating artificial intelligence features. So how about we just start with a quick rundown of some of those AI features that were announced. So according to Virtualization How To, VMware announced Tanzu's Intelligence Services, which introduces a common data platform with machine learning and AI capabilities to optimize app performance across different clouds. Also Tanzu related was the announcement of Tanzu with Intelligent Assist, which is an AI powered chatbot to support operations and workflows. And obviously these AI powered chatbots is a use case and feature that's being incorporated by various different vendors, including Microsoft. Also on the AI front was the VMware Private AI Foundation with NVIDIA, which sees VMware expanding its strategic partnership with NVIDIA, trying to prepare enterprises equipped with VMware's cloud infrastructure 
for the forthcoming wave of generative AI technologies, which obviously if organizations are trying to embrace AI for their own purposes and for their own products, they're going to need sufficient resources for achieving that. Also announced to help customers reach their AI goals was VMware Private AI Reference Architecture for Open Source. And this offering supports top tier open source software technologies, both now and looking ahead for those looking to incorporate AI into their platforms. Another sub feature was the innovative VMware private AI platform, which is designed to bring computing capacity and AI models to where they're most needed, be it public cloud, data centers, or at the edge. The VMware AI Ready program was also officially launched, which VMware hopes will connect independent software vendors or ISVs with the tools and resources required for validating and certifying on VMware's private AI reference architecture, which I just previously announced. So I talked a little bit about Intelligent Assist for VMware Tanzu, which was that AI-powered chatbot. Well, VMware also announced an overall Intelligent Assist product or feature, which is a suite of generative AI solutions based on VMware's proprietary data Intelligent based on VMware's proprietary data. Intelligent Assist is aimed at radically streamlining all aspects of constructing, managing, and safeguarding the multi-cloud enterprise. So again, kind of interweaving that multi-cloud play even into some of these AI-specific features. Now, Virtualization How-To, which is what I referenced for those previous announcements, gave very concise descriptions but being honest, I also reviewed the VMware news site itself and articles written by VMware employees on sites like marketwatch.com when researching for this episode. And I found it very difficult to discern deep technical details from some of the announcements. And frankly, some of the announcements around AI features were confusing. AI integrations to the Anywhere Workspace platform was one of those that confused me. Like their AI-driven insights with anomaly detection capabilities. Surely anomaly detection is machine learning, not really AI, which is a little bit concerning. But as I'm sure we've all seen, organizations are rushing to quickly attach themselves to AI. So this may be a case of that happening. On the EUC front, VMware also announced app volume support of persistent VMware Horizon virtual desktops and several announcements to their DEX offering, including some of those AI integrated features and automation capabilities to help customers quickly remediate user issues. Another odd bit of messaging in some of the content that was put out surrounding the event, there is a quote in the marketwatch.com article that goes, quote, VMware app volumes is the only solution to help organizations deliver and manage apps across VMware Horizon, Citrix, Microsoft, and Amazon virtual desktop and app deployments as part of VMware's apps everywhere vision, end quote. So if you were to just remove the as part of VMware's apps everywhere vision from that quote, the rest of the sentence doesn't really hold any weight. Like it's not true that it's the only solution that an organization could use for deploying applications across Horizon, Citrix, AVD, Windows 365, Amazon Workspaces, AppStream, because there are several that can do that. But someone may read that and think that it implies that app volumes is the only one that can do that. Now, I obviously work for Numescent. <laughs> so I read that and I'm like, oh, yeah, OK. Well, obviously, CloudPager can do that. But being completely honest, CloudPager is not the only one that can do that. There's others in the market that can support those different environments, too. 
Some other announcements, just to quickly wrap this up. VMware NSX Plus was announced, which is a cloud-delivered networking, security, and advanced load balancing as a service offering for NSX that allows networking, security, and operations teams to consume and operate NSX services from a single cloud console across private, hybrid, and public clouds, and will be offered as a monthly subscription. Windows 365 Cloud PCs are also now available on VMware Horizon Cloud, which reads a lot like Citrix's HDX Plus for cloud PCs, where you can access the cloud PCs, but not rely on the RDP protocol. So when you're using VMware Horizon Cloud for accessing your cloud PC, you get the benefits of VMware's BLAST protocol. So certainly an interesting development on that front. So as I said, I found some of the announcements, at least when reading them, to be kind of vague and confusing. So it was really hard to research this week's episode. I was reading stuff for over two hours trying to figure out you know, what to share and what to not. And by the time you're listening to this, I heavily edited this down as well. But if you'd like to read up on some of the announcements for yourself, I'll share links to what I've referenced with this episode, which is episode 296. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com. Other vendors made announcements during the VMware Explorer event too. And just to cover some of those announcements, show sponsor ControlUp announced that they have appointed former IGEL CEO or Eagle CEO Jed Aries as their new CEO who takes over from former CEO and co-founder Asaf Gana, who is someone that I had the pleasure of working under during my time at ControlUp. Asaf will reportedly assume the executive chairman position and ControlUp stated, quote, Together, Jed and Asaf are a powerful leadership team that will strengthen ControlUp's position as a category leader, end quote. And that category is obviously DEX, which I saw several quotes from Jed about the excitement and the potential growth for the DEX market. Also during the event, I saw that ControlUp announced a 50-device VIP license for Edge DX for those in the community to manage, troubleshoot, and fix issues for up to 50 physical desktops in or outside your network. And Edge DX is an awesome product. I think I've blogged and shared videos of some of my use cases, including for helping to manage my Windows 365 business cloud PC. So definitely check that out, it's a great product. And also announced by ControlUp and Tenzig at the event was that ControlUp, Edge DX, and Realtime DX are now officially supported on Tenzig Thin clients. Another announcement made during Explore came via Liquidware, who announced Liquidware Command Control, or Command CTRL, is now generally available. Liquidware claims that Command Control is the only SaaS real-time remediation solution that includes a DVR-like function that provides expeditious point-in-time problem-solving, which I believe is true and was one of the eye-catching features that I noticed in the product when the previews were first being shared. The ability to play back what happened when a user reported the issue occurred could be extremely useful when troubleshooting. Liquidware state, many other features in the product provide business benefits such as reduced time to resolution of incidents that increases productivity and improves user experience. Uh, Command control is a cost-effective solution as there is no infrastructure required with minimal training to get up to speed. And with the majority of troubleshooting being done in the background, while the user is uninterrupted provides improved user sentiment too. So that all important digital employee experience. Liquidware state that the product has four key differentiators to other solutions on the market. 
including that DVR-like playback functionality that I mentioned, where they say that it captures 30 days of history so admins can see exactly what occurred in the environment at specific dates and times within that time period. Uh, they have AI integration with ChatGPT for process identification, which I also saw before. So essentially it's using ChatGPT to research and provide more information on a given process if you'd like to get more information on a given process. And I believe it stores it or caches that information for, I think it's 30 days. I might be wrong on that. So you're not constantly querying and looking up the same process over and over with ChatGPT because you do pay per token for running those queries, which I should also say I didn't mention it during the VMware announcements. But a lot of those AI features, I believe, that VMware announced I will also be tying in with other AI models. So it may actually be on customers to pay for another AI product integrated within their environment. Although again, information was very vague, so that was not very clear. But I don't believe VMware has its own AI platform. They obviously can build stuff like machine learning capabilities into their products without relying on a different service. But as we see, Microsoft's like partnered with OpenAI. But anyways, I'm getting far away from the point. This announcement's about command control. Uh, so the other two uh, differentiators includes protocol mirroring, which they say displays the protocol to the physical machine endpoint. So that's interesting, I guess. Mirroring the experience of using a certain protocol for maybe virtual machines, but applying it to a physical machine scenario. And the last one is Switch, which will allow you to seamlessly switch and navigate between two distinct environments, the local desktop and the cloud-based desktop. There's some other features that they've announced too, like a full scripting store, which organizes custom and external scripts for easy access and implementation. Obviously not one that's unique to them, but it is a feature within the product. There's PowerShell and command options for creating scripts to automate needed functions. There's real-time metrics that with data being updated every three seconds and more for a full list check out the press release which i'll share with this episode of the podcast more bad news for avanti customers in the last week they disclosed a critical sentry api authentication bypass vulnerability and it is being exploited in the wild it's listed as cve-2023-38035 and bleepycomputer.com reports that unauthenticated attackers can gain access to sensitive admin portal configuration APIs exposed over port 8443, which is used by the Mobile Iron Configuration Service. Successful exploitation allows attackers to change configurations, run system commands, or write files onto systems running Avanti Sentry versions 9.18 and prior. So this one is very severe criticality. That seems like it's very similar to previously disclosed vulnerabilities that were related to uh, being able to execute APIs without authentication. So if you're using Avanti products, make sure you're patched and on the latest versions. And this time this is for the Sentry API. So beyond the latest version of Avanti Sentry. Microsoft confirmed that Outlook issues that users faced last week, including issues sending emails, messages being flagged as spam, are not delivered, was the result of a misconfigured domain DNS SPF record. Microsoft told BleepyComputer.com on the 18th of August that they have fixed the issue and Hotmail should no longer fail SPF checks. It's been a bad few months for Outlook. 
in application update fallout news. And I'm going to lean more on application update rather than a Windows update fallout, although it's unclear at this time. But a blue screen of death issues have been reported with the error unsupported underscore processor er uh, message appearing on some Windows 11 PCs after installing an update that was released earlier in the week. This is KB5029351, which is part of the usual monthly fixes, but it appears to be causing issues when used with some MSI motherboards. Tom Warren of The Verge says he personally experienced the crash and that others online who reported the problem are all running Intel systems on, on MSI motherboards with the latest BIOS updates applied. At the time of scripting this episode of the podcast, it appears there's been no word from MSI yet on the issue, but Microsoft have stated, quote, We are presently investigating to determine if this is an issue caused by Microsoft. We will provide an update when more information is available, end quote. So is it an MSI issue? Is it a Microsoft issue? I guess we'll have to wait and see, but if you are using an MSI motherboard, heads up, you may get blue screens of death. And the story is so new, I'm not even sure if you're able to remove or uninstall that KB5029351, but if you are hitting that issue, it appears to be caused with this patch being installed on those systems, so you may want to try and uninstall that if you keep hitting blue screens of death. Also Windows update related for this month, but KB5029351, 9331, which was a update for Windows 10, but there's counterparts for other operating systems too, included an update that addressed an issue that affects the group policy service, and it will not wait for 30 seconds, which is the default wait time for the network to be available. And because of this, policies are not correctly processed. So if you've had an issue with group policies not processing, which seems like a really big deal, you may want to look at KB5029331. The latest release of FS Logics has been published, and that's FS Logics version 2210 Hotfix 2. And in the announcement, it includes the fact that it's now available within the image for the EVD, so the Enterprise Virtual Desktop images within Azure, which is something I covered on a previous podcast. But also, this hotfix provides major bug fixes to the cloud cache components of FSLogix, where customers have seen issues with timed write cache and the other I.O. processing behaviors. Microsoft has confirmed that many of these issues have now been resolved. They also stated that a handful of customers have seen unexpected reboots due to a bug check and issues with ODFC containers, uh, which did not detach correctly. And both of those issues were also addressed in this hotfix. And lastly, the hotfix provides significant changes to the group policy template files, which will not affect their functionality and are focused more on aesthetics and compatibility. And possibly even more important in this announcement, they announced deprecation and retirement of several FSLogix features, including app container rules, the application rule set reporting, Internet Explorer browser plugin, well, that's not that big of a deal. The FRX tray utility, which is a bigger deal. Uh, profiles configuration tool, the cloud cache CCD max cache size in MBs, our limited cache, Java rule editor and Java rules, and support for 32-bit operating systems and support for Windows Server 2012 R2. This next one could be a tip, 
but there was a great conversation in the patch mailing group around Excel security when it comes to Python scripts and the fact that by default, the scripts can be executed without indication and have long been a security concern. So the tip here from RootSec Dev is that there's a GPO preference that sets a registry value for Python function warnings that could be said, and that will turn on notifications or indicate to users when a Python script attempts to run. And more long-term planning, I guess, from Microsoft, they have a Python in Excel feature that will be coming, and this runs Python code used by Excel in a secure container on the Microsoft Cloud, which I assume is Azure, with enterprise-level security as a compliant Microsoft 365 connected experience. Python in Excel is available in Excel for Windows using the beta channel currently and is not available on other platforms. A new version of the MSAX packaging tool has been released, which is version 1.2023.807.0. And it brings improvements in entry point detection by the MSAX packaging tool, adds notifications for accelerator fix-ups that requires manual intervention, enhances accessibility features to better support keyboard navigation, voice access, screen reader compatibility and contrast themes. There's improvements in error reporting and also some general improvements and bug fixes. So not really a major release. The new stack.io reported that HashiCorp is dumping their open source license for Terraform and switching to a business source license, which is a non-open source license. And as a result, a number of service providers that rely on Terraform have launched the OpenTF initiative, including Gruntwork, Spacelift, M0, and Scalar. They stated, quote, we believe the BSL license is a poison pill for Terraform, which threatens the entire community and ecosystem, end quote. The group have heavily implied that they may fork the Terraform project, which would see the current base of Terraform essentially being spun off and further developed away from HashiCorp. So it'll be interesting to see how this proceeds from here. Not for the first time, but a security researcher has criticized Apple's handling of bugs reported to them and of their bug bounty program. Adam Chester from TrustedSec shared that Apple confirmed a bug he reported two years ago to them has now been addressed and assigned as CVE-2022-48505. Despite Apple initially suggesting that if upon review it was found that the bug could lead to broad access to sensitive user data, they would pay out as much as $100,000 or at least pay a minimum payment for partial access. Well, while the CVE has been published, the technical details are currently unknown and an exploit is not publicly available. However, this issue was addressed with improved data protection according to Apple themselves. And this issue is fixed in macOS Ventura version 13. An app may be able to modify protected parts of the file system according to Apple themselves, yet they have informed Adam that it does not qualify for the bug bounty as they only award for the first party to report an issue, which by itself is fair enough. They should only really have to pay the bug bounty to the person who notified them of the bug originally. But by the sounds of things, they strung Adam along for two years essentially stopping him from disclosing the vulnerability while they just dragged ass on fixing the issue. In his email correspondence, he said that he wanted to publish the vulnerability, so they knew that, yet they didn't tell him, you know, well, this is not a priority right now. Uh, this is not gonna be fixed for two years. Oh, and by the way, we're not going to give the bug bounty to you ever because someone else also reported this. 
So to me, this is dodgy and it's frankly scummy tactics by Apple, just in my opinion. Just a reminder that in just a week, and possibly even less than a week by the time you listen to this episode, Amazon Workspace's application manager will go offline on September 1st. To avoid downtime for your business, initiate your fully managed upgrade to CloudPager now. The UK government is set to revise the Investigatory Powers Act 2016, which is the primary legislation governing the surveillance of electronic communications in the UK. The proposed changes to the act includes an obligation to comply with the content of a potential notice during the review period and before a notice is actually served, an obligation to disclose technical information about a company's systems during the same review period, measures to strengthen the extraterritorial application of the notices and obligations for companies to give advance notice to the UK, Secretary of State, before implementing any technical changes. So that last one is the important one. So the UK government potentially as a directive for gathering and surveilling electronic communications in the UK may require companies or vendors to notify of any technical changes, which is very, very broad. According to JustSecurity.org, device manufacturers would likely also have to notify the government before making available important security updates that fix known vulnerabilities and keep devices secure. Accordingly, the Secretary of State, who must be given the advance notice of changes upon receiving such an advance notice, could now request operators to, for instance, abstain from patching security gaps to allow the government to maintain access for surveillance purposes, which is absolutely bat s crazy. I shared on Twitter just like some of my thoughts around this, thinking that maybe this is just like a boundary testing exercise, putting it out there that this may come into force and just seeing if there's gonna be pushback. You know, one of those crazy laws that's proposed, but those proposing it don't think it's really gonna fly, and they expect there's gonna be backlash and they'll possibly step back from it. But geez, if this is implemented and enforced in a major way, I would think this could drive some businesses away from operating in the UK. TechCrunch.com reported that SUSE is going private again. The firm is offering a 67% premium to SUSE shareholders over what the stock last traded at uh, earlier in the week, but it will also allow existing shareholders to remain invested in the company in a private setting too. EQT expects SUSE to delist in the last quarter of this year. SUSE says going private will allow it to focus on its operational priorities and execution of its long-term strategy. A focus that will surely include capitalizing on what the company clearly perceives is an opening to take away market share from Red Hat, which if you've been following the podcast, uh, Red Hat have been dinged by the community for some changes that they've recently made. Suse is also a company that I've covered quite a bit on the podcast over the last few years as they've made some very interesting acquisitions, including New Vector, which is a product that uh, I really liked and have blogged about on my site, RoryMond.com in the past too. So it'd be interesting to see how this develops for Suse. And finally in the news for this week, Business Insider had an interesting article about broken tech promises, highlighting that streaming is now just as expensive and confusing as cable, Uber costs as much as regular taxis, and the cloud is not cheaper and more secure for computing. They made some really good points throughout the article and even in the cloud section itself, but the premise for the cloud section is a little bit flawed in my opinion. I'm old enough to remember before cloud adoption was mainstream, 
Yes, I am that old. Uh, there were big talks about it being a job killer, but from day one, the cloud has been expensive. It didn't suddenly become expensive or dramatically increase in price over time. It is just inherently expensive, particularly for uh, infrastructure as a service and hosting servers and your actual infrastructure in the cloud. You could make an argument that some SaaS offerings and consuming vendor products that are cloud hosted can be inexpensive if the price you're paying to that vendor is not expensive. And some of the other points in the section about cloud definitely ring true about the cloud bringing some greater flexibility, you know, being able to scale up and scale down as needed and so forth. So it's definitely not bashing the cloud completely. It's just saying that it didn't live up to the promise when it comes to cost and security, which eh, maybe on the security front, but price, I don't know if there was ever really a promise. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. For those of you in IT who should really be keeping your hands off the mouse and keyboard on a Friday to ensure you don't break something right before the weekend and mess it up for everyone, uh, you could spend part of your Friday this week at DJ Eshelman's half-day IT documentation workshop. We could all use some help in improving our documentation skills, and this is an opportunity to do just that. And finally, I'm keeping the scripts, tricks, and tips short this week because it's a longer episode. Uh, but finally, thanks to Thorsten, who shared a tool, which is an advanced configuration utility designed to enhance your privacy and security on Windows by being able to easily toggle on and off and optimize Windows by tweaking the OS with simple sliders. And the tool is Optimizer version 15.7. It does things like enabling you to disable search, disable print service, disable sticky keys, telemetry services, and so forth with simple toggle off and on. Well, if you stuck through the entire episode this week, good on you. <laughs> Thanks so much. This episode took me a long time to put together and I did have to do a lot of editing too. So if you appreciate it, probably this week more than ever, share some love with the sponsors because if I did not have sponsorship for this, I don't know if I'd have the drive to put in all this time toward it.